listening to a podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada, located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. A friend of this community sitting in with the musicians tonight, uh, Brian Dirksen. Brian brought along three friends of his, who uh, together as an ensemble called the Sheer Poets are writing settings of all of the psalms they're, uh, they're just now doing the third collection, so Psalms 21 to 30. And because he was sitting in and they were in town, I thought on a night that we read the 23rd Psalm, that would be a wonderful gift to hear their new setting. So, at the end of the sermon, may only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. Now, I would venture to say that the 23rd Psalm is the best known and most beloved of all of the Psalms, perhaps even of all of the Jewish and Christian scriptures. And it's one of those texts that for many people still rings with the cadences of the King James Version of the Bible. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. And then, of course, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. How many times has that been requested for funerals? at the side of a hospital bed, or when someone has just died. For good reason, too, to read such a psalm, to pray such a psalm, and not simply because of that phrase about the valley of the shadow of death. Now, you might have noticed in tonight's reading, those words weren't there. That phrase was translated as, though I walk through the darkest valley. It's actually a more accurate rendering of the Hebrew. As Brueggemann and Bellinger observe in their commentary, the psalmist speaks out of a context of deep danger and articulates confidence in the Lord as the one who will keep the flock safe, protected in the face of every danger. So the word, the darkest valley, works. But you know, at funerals, Or at the time of death, I inevitably will go back to the King James Version. Because at that point, it's the grieving ones who are in need of that kind of confidence and trust. It's the mourners who are very aware that they are walking in the valley of the shadow of this particular death. The person who's died, they've already passed through that valley, haven't they? In other words, this psalm is for the living. And if we forget that, we might skip past one of its most important assertions, proclamations. Surely goodness and mercy, the psalmist proclaims, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all of the days of my life. And here Brueggemann and Bellinger again draw our attention to the force of the original Hebrew They point to what they call a remarkable verb in this phrase, which we tend to translate as follow, though that word is just a little too thin. 
Instead, these two scholars of the Hebrew Bible speak in terms of pursuit. The psalmist, they say, the psalmist is able to recognize that goodness and fidelity have been in pursuit of me. This remarkable verb suggests that the subject thought he was being pursued by dangers and threats, but in fact it was the providential goodness of God that's been following him and chasing after him. That's the force of this psalm. It's the stuff of the mystical poem by Francis Thompson, The Hound of Heaven, in which the protagonist feels himself pursued, hunted down. It's fearful until he realizes that what's catching him is in fact God. It's something that the jazz legend John Coltrane played on his saxophone. In the third movement of his spiritual autobiography, A Love Supreme, a four-piece suite of music that told his spiritual journey. That four-part suite begins with his acknowledgement of God's grace and his resolution to accept and to live into that grace. But in John Coltrane's sometimes troubled life, There followed a stretch of years when he lost his way, lived out of a more restless and lost sort of spirit. It's the third movement of that suite, pursuance, in which Coltrane acknowledges that all that he'd been running from was in fact the thing he most needed and craved. As he lost his way and had been madly searching all along, he'd been pursued by God. And only when he collapsed in an exhausted surrender could he truly recognize it. And how often it is that it's only a place of exhausted surrender that we finally realize how thirsty we've been all along for the water of life. Well, that four-part suite, A Love Supreme, resolves with the final movement called Psalm. It's a prayer of gratitude that Coltrane plays on his saxophone. And in that piece, he bumps right up against the heart of the 23rd Psalm. For the written prayer that accompanies the suite is all about trust. Finally, trust. James Lindbergh points out that in the Hebrew original of the 23rd Psalm, it is the phrase, For you are with me, that sits at the very center of the psalm. You are with me. There's exactly 26 words preceding it and 26 words following it in the Hebrew. For you are with me even in the dark valley when I couldn't see it. You are with me even though I thought I was being pursued by something threatening. You are with me even as I sit in the presence of mine enemies. You begin to see that for all that this might well be a psalm of comfort, and it is that, it's one born of a resilient, seasoned, and even stubborn sort of faith. The Lord is my shepherd is a phrase that can sometimes be prayed through clenched teeth. Well, I think there are some seriously clenched teeth at work in tonight's passage from the gospel according to John. As John tells of how Jesus drew on the imagery of shepherding 
to describe his own ministry. And at least some of those teeth were clenched not in resilience and in faith, but in hostility. See, this passage about shepherding, there's a whole lot of shepherding language in the 10th chapter of John's Gospel. This passage flows seamlessly from what precedes it in John's longer narrative. And what precedes it is the story of the man born blind. Though physically blind, this man has been able to see Jesus as a source of light and life. And it is from this that the gift of his actual sight flows. Yet, the ire of some of the Pharisees is raised. As for them, the claims that Jesus is making about himself are simply unacceptable. So this is what immediately precedes tonight's reading. Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment, so that those who do not see may see, and those who do see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard and said to him, Surely we are not blind, are we? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would not have sin. But now that you say, We see, your sin remains. And then without a pause, without a pause from this confrontation with those Pharisees, Jesus continues, Very truly I tell you, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate but climbs in by another way is a thief and a bandit. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. He's launched now into an extended teaching in which he plays with this shepherding imagery, first identifying himself as the gate of the sheepfold, of the sheep pen, and then in the verse immediately following tonight's passage as the good shepherd. John is quite clear, though, that they did not understand what he was saying to them, that the imagery was quite lost on them. And so he begins again. Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and bandits, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So, given the context, right, what the flow-through is, Who do you suppose Jesus has in view when he begins to speak of thieves and bandits? It's not a wholesale condemnation of everyone and everything that has come before him. By no means. As if the prophets, the Torah, the Psalms were without truth. No, that's not what he's doing. It's a very, very specific critique of those he considers to have corrupted their own calling to be shepherds of Israel. In her comments on this passage, Elizabeth Johnson offers the following. She says, The Pharisees who have interrogated the blind man in John 9 are supposed to be the shepherds of Israel. Those who care for, protect, 
and nourish the people. Instead, they expel the healed blind man from their community, refusing to believe that Jesus and his healing work come from God. See, that's in the story. It's not just a a confrontation between Jesus and the Pharisees. They are so outraged that he's been healed ostensibly by this carpenter rabbi peasant, and they're doubly appalled because the blind man holds tight to the claims that this may well be the anointed one of God. And so rather than opening their minds, they push him out of the community. They are the blind ones whose commitment to their own version of the truth has kept them from seeing truth itself. And in their blindness, they have blinded others. Though they may be able to say those great words of trust from the 23rd Psalm, for you are with me, they've lost sight of what the words really mean, of the deep possibilities that such words of prayer can bring. To truly identify oneself as a sheep of the fold, a lamb of this flock, requires humility and openness. And those are the things that the Pharisees have entirely lost. Now, with that all as background to this language of shepherding, we're going to listen to this psalm again. You'll be able to sing it as well. You'll be able to pick up on parts of it. We're going to receive it, though, and embrace the humility, the openness, the resilience, the trust, even the stubbornness that it calls out of us. So listen, pray, sing, and see.
You've been listening to a St. Benedict's Table podcast. For more information on our church or to provide support for our online work, visit us at stbenedictstable.ca.